DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, said that faith's past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject, which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters, not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why it matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. As we continue our conversation on the apostolic exhortation, Gaudete et Exaltate, we find ourselves at chapter 5, which is the closing section of the document, of the teaching of Pope Francis. And it's a subject that he has spoken of in the past, and it's one that you'll inevitably see in headlines when he discusses about the reality of the spiritual combat and that the devil is very real. How did we get to a point where there seems to be a need to clarify that? I'm not sure how we've gotten to the point. I mean, it, our culture kind of diminishes the reality of, of sin. Sin and the devil are related. But when Pope Francis talks about the devil is real, it's an example of him being a realist. He's very experienced in the spiritual life, in the discernment of spirits, and in discerning both the action of, of God in the lives of people and in the history of salvation, but also recognizing that there is this personal evil at work at the same time. They're not equal in any way, and we know that the victory belongs to God in Christ Jesus in the history of, of human salvation. At the same time, the devil, as the scripture said, is still prowling, and uh, we do encounter the temptations of the devil and the effects of the devil's work and, and presence. In this exhortation, which the Pope titles Rejoice and Be Glad, he's inviting us to really be joyful in the call that uh, is ours to grow in sanctity. And he encourages us to know that that call is given to each of us in the church. It's possible for us to respond, and there is great joy in growing in holiness, really growing in the integrity that God has in mind for each of us to, to experience. We grow into the women and the men he has created us to be. But there are temptations and, and pitfalls along the way, and the Holy Father wants us to be realistic, that it's not always smooth sailing. We put our trust always in God and in the power of God's grace. We don't fear the devil, but we're aware of the devil's presence and the temptations that, that come to us. As we're aware of them, as we see that for what it is, then we're able to, to turn all the more confidently to God and count on the help of God's grace. It's important, he reminds us, that the devil does not need to possess us. And I think that's often what we think. You know, we become very fearful of him because we're afraid of the possession. He says that he poisons us with the venom of hatred, desolation, envy, and vice. Maybe that's why we need to be <laughs> once again reminded that he's real because those 
elements right there. You see it so prevalent in our culture, the culture around the world, don't we? How do we see them in ourselves, too, in various ways? So, the, again, the Pope is um, inviting us to be prayerful and to discern as we uh, sense movements in our hearts or in our in our own spirits internally, to recognize uh, the Scripture is very helpful here, to recognize really what is from God and, and what's part of the invitation to grow in holiness, and also what is the, an invitation to, to diminishment and a weaker faith, uh, less conviction, you know, that God is God and that we put all of our trust in God and that our life really is in God, our future is in God. He goes on to talk about a spiritual corruption, which he says is worse than the fall of a sinner, for it, it is a comfortable and self-satisfied form of blindness. Wow. What does that look like? How can we recognize that? Well, uh, that's a good question. I think it looks like the Pharisees and the tax collectors in the Gospels. I would say there's an example of what the Holy Father is talking about. This is a, an interesting theme, and the preaching of Pope Francis and in, in his other more informal exhortations, audiences, and and so forth, really uh, challenges us who are already immersed in the life of faith to not be self-satisfied and to not uh, be pharisaical, uh, we, we might say. So we know that Jesus had great compassion for the sinner, the uh, the one who either in one, with one bad decision or having fallen into a, a habit of really a misdirected self-love or, or love of others was really sort of mired in sin and weighted, weighed down by guilt and, and the effect of sin. So the Lord would reach out to those persons always with, uh, with great compassion. But we see in the Gospels that he clashed with the Pharisees, and it was, to use the Holy Father's words, the, the spiritual corruption. So the, on the surface, an adherence to the law and following all the rules, but underneath not a lively faith and not a, a, an absolute dependence on God and, and on the grace of God. This can be an example of the, the heresies that the Holy Father was talking about earlier in, the, in this document, and, and either one of those, uh, Pelagianism or Gnosticism, we can see sort of things look well on the surface, and it would be easy for a person to be satisfied with his or her own performance, having their life in a kind of order that they have decreed or set up for themselves. But there's no heart. There's no real love for God and no fire of the Holy Spirit burning inside. It's that fire, that that personal presence of God, the desire to have God live in us and through us that makes it possible for us to see ourselves as we are, uh, beloved sons and daughters, but fallen and sinful. Uh, but uh, that's uh, that's not an obstacle to God's love and and, and, uh, and care for us. So when we recognize our sins in a proper way, then here in that uh, recognition and invitation to turn to God and, and to receive his mercy. Those who are, as the Pope would describe, spiritually corrupt really don't respond to that invitation. And we might say almost push God away with the sense that they could, could just have their life in order themselves without the grace of God. You know, having a life of order for some they feel a great deal of security in, I'm speaking of an experience here in the United States where we have laws and we feel they cannot be broken. And that's true. But there comes instances, and I'm going to be very clear about this now, when it comes to areas of immigration, understanding why people may come to a country, maybe because of persecution or or whatever, um, 
that can be a challenge because the church would call us to have a certain disposition towards those who seem to be in need or come here. And for a Catholic, there becomes that, well, they're breaking a law. And so there needs to be something done. But then how do you respond? And that, that's part of the challenge of holiness, isn't it? And discernment and in a practical situation. Right. Human laws should reflect the justice of God as well as we can construct them. So when we talk about the, the immigration laws and policies in this country, there's a question about whether there's a coherence to them and whether uh, after a certain amount of time of them of their not being enforced or, or not being clear about what the enforcement is, if it's if it's really if there's a clear understanding of how to follow them and what the what it would be like to live within the the laws or or, or just um, procedures. So that's a challenge for us in, in this country to to get that straightened out. The church calls us not to disregard laws, but to regard people. That's how Jesus Himself always approached those who. We're in, in some kind of, of, of difficulty. There's a person there, a beloved daughter or son of the Heavenly Father, who deserves uh, recognition. They have a, a dignity given by God that must be respected. We are called to support marriages and families. And so where, where the law tends to pull those relationships apart in some way, we ought to try to fix them so, so that the lives and the, the dignity of persons you know, is not disregarded in the uh, enforcement of laws. Again, I think the Holy Father's calling us at this point not to talk about a particular set of laws or a particular subject under the law, but, but to uh, invite ourselves not to see ourselves as God or to be you know, satisfied that we've got sort of everything in order, that there's no more of God's will for us to understand, uh, no more compassion to be shared. The needs of our brothers and sisters are evident around us if we look. And an essential part of the call to holiness is the the response in Christ to those around us who are carrying heavy burdens. The, the real danger can become, can it, when we feel that there has been a violation of a right or of a law on either side, and we begin to speak about others in a tone or in a way that is filled with hatred that seems to foster that advice as opposed to promoting virtue. We're all sinners, and we're all in need of God's mercy, and we're in need of the, of the mercy and the understanding, the patience of our brothers and sisters, too, and we rely on that every day. Our understanding of justice needs to be a reflection of God's own justice, which is described in the scriptures and through the teachings of Jesus, through the re- kinds of relationships that Jesus himself established. And then it's expressed in down through the ages in, in, in the teachings of, of the church. So the, the, there's no room for self-righteousness in the life of a person who's trying to grow in holiness. It's easy to become self-righteous, though. And there again, it's the work of the devil in, in many ways is to, is to cause division and isolation and to cut us off from others, to uh, help us see other people as other rather than as our brothers and sisters in, in the Lord. So in this section, again, these are some sort of ramifications of, the, of what the Pope is inviting us to, to discern, to be aware of, that wherever we find ourselves being comfortable with division or fomenting division, we need to discern that that's, that's the work of the devil, that the call to holiness is a call to wholeness, that's a call to integrity both within ourselves but also within uh, the community in which we find ourselves. We never experience that completely in this world, but we should discern prayerfully that when 
that integrity is being pulled apart. We call it a disintegration, that when things are falling apart or people are at odds with one another, that that's not something we can be satisfied with because that's the work of the devil. And it's our vocation, really, uh, as baptized persons, as we attempt to grow in holiness, is to put our trust in Jesus and his mission is communion. We serve that mission when we become instruments of, of communion. We'll return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas in just a moment. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts and either download our free apps, which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores, or visit discerninghearts.com. The Creed I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. We now return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Yeah, it's so interesting, (laughs) you more than anyone else, I'm sure, to see how sometimes what God has intended can be mysterious and surprising. He will say, Pope Francis in this document, even though it includes reason and prudence, it goes beyond them, for it seeks a glimpse of that unique and mysterious plan that God has for each one of us. 
sometimes it is the unexpected, isn't it? Well, yes, it, it shouldn't seem so unexpected, you know, if we're, if we're rooted in scripture and in prayer, but because we're not as rooted as well there as we should be, the, the will of God often does come to us in, in an unexpected form. Our challenge always is to be faithful, so which, which means we put our trust in God as, as God and desire to know more about God's will, God's loving plan for us. Uh, because of the effect of sin, it's not always so clear to us. We can't always see around the bend, you know, where, where God might be leading us. And so, as we said before, spiritual guides or spiritual friends in the community of believers, those are very important to us so that we're not left discerning alone or we might say making snap judgments about about the spiritual life. But we allow ourselves to be immersed in the richness of, of our scriptural tradition, in the richness of the, of the church's teaching, and then in the wisdom that we hear uh, both from the people around us, but certainly in the lives of the saints and the teachings and the writings of, of those before us who have responded to the call to holiness and have, have gone in that direction, had a full force, we might say, but certainly by the end of their, of their lives. All of that um, provides a context and an encouragement uh, for us to be able to live with, we might call the uncertainty of, of knowing God's will. It's more of there's, uh, there's kind of a cloud sometimes in, in front of us and we have the gift of Jesus who is with us always in the church. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, so not, God's not far away, but it's our growing understanding uh, that is aided by grace, by the prayer, the support of others, uh, that, that makes it possible for us to move closer to conformity with, with the will of God as we come to understand it more. Well, again, I refer to that rather large vision you end up having because of your role in the in the church as an archbishop, and, and not only for a very large archdiocese, but also one who can see what's happening in the country. And from that point, you've experienced those who have tremendous education and are deep-thinking theologians, but then you also have the little ones who are in the pews. And it's amazing the wisdom that can come from those little ones, isn't it? Well, it's the point of the of the Pope's exhortation. We might say that it's this universal call to holiness, so that all of us are called to have life in the Trinity, to experience that already in this world, to receive our inheritance of full life in in the world to come. We know that there are a variety of gifts. So there are some who are wiser, there are some who are smarter, we might say in human terms, some who are better at, at organizing and administering things, some better at teaching. There are, are a variety of gifts. And again, I think the Holy Father warns us not to be smug, you know, if we have a particular gift or several and that others don't have, that's, that somehow we're ahead of the game in terms of, of holiness. It doesn't work that way. You know, the, the devil can undermine what is a very good and useful gift that we have, a possession and ability, and allow us to turn that to selfish or corrupt purposes. So we do have a variety of people in the community of believers, and that is part of the fun, I think. It's part of the joy, the diversity of gifts. And at the Feast of Pentecost, we always recognize that it's the Holy Spirit that brings those diverse gifts together variety of, of abilities, you could say, in, in human terms, but uh, each uh, person with the dignity of a son and daughter of uh, our Heavenly Father, redeemed by Christ, enlivened by the Holy Spirit, uh, forming the, the one body of Christ. The hope 
then, of course, is that as we grow in holiness and as we respond to the, the call uh, to holiness, that will allow the Spirit to bring us together so that Jesus is visible, uh, so that people in our time aren't left to wonder, uh, is Jesus really alive? Is it really possible to encounter him? They have that experience through the community of, of believers, the Holy Spirit acting in and through, uh, those of us who are cooperating imperfectly, but trying to cooperate with the with the grace that will make us holy. Yeah, he emphasizes that that need for discernment, that listening heart, and then he brings forward the one who probably did it better than anyone was Mary. The role of Mary in our lives and is central to the life of the church. Uh, we call Mary the first and best disciple of Jesus. So she was uh, conceived without original sin, and she didn't sin during her life, but it doesn't mean that she didn't grow. Uh, so she's not God, so there's always room to grow. So her, her understanding of, of God's will uh, grew as, as she continued to be open to it, as she continued to discern how God was leading her. At a certain moment, of course, she accepted this vocation to be the mother of the Savior. That wasn't something that was on her mind, and it wasn't it wasn't her plan. So there was a, that was a moment of of growth in trust, and the growth in sort of the, the demands of of discipleship, and then various points. Then through uh, the life of Jesus, through his public ministry, the time of his death and resurrection, she had the the joy really of growing in uh, in, in holiness. She is an example to us in that way, and, and we shouldn't sort of hold her up on a pedestal and say, well, Mary didn't have any sin, so she didn't know what I'm going through. The fact that she didn't sin doesn't mean that she wasn't tempted. Jesus himself was tempted. So, But really, the, the challenge that the Pope holds up for us is something that we see lived very beautifully in Mary, and that's the challenge of growing. So we're, we're, we are where we are right now, but, but we're called to take a step in a good direction, a step in the, in the direction of, of Jesus, empowered by grace and the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, to become the people that we're capable of being, that, that God has designed us to be. I think sometimes when we love someone so much, it's difficult for us to understand how they can struggle sometimes when we hold them, as you said, up on a pedestal. For Mary, in scriptures, as you said, there were times when she didn't understand that she had to ponder all those things in her heart. And Well, well in, our, in our devotional life, we talk about the sorrows of Mary. You know, that there were moments in her life that were not fun and enjoyable or, or, or you know, immediately personally fulfilling, um, but her trust was in was in God, not in herself, and not in a formula that that she might have worked out for herself. So we do look to her, and and it's a beautiful experience we have in the church if we're open to it of, of Mary, kind of leading us in the procession of saints, but also mothering us, being patient with us uh, along the way because she wants us to experience the same joy that that she did of growing in the knowledge and love of God's will, growing in holiness, and growing in a, the experience of having Jesus at the center of our lives and, and our lives, our decisions being shaped by that relationship with him. In concluding our conversation about the apostolic exhortation, do you have any final thoughts? I'll come back to something I said earlier. That was just to encourage uh, everyone to read it. And uh, you don't have to sit down and read it all in one sitting, it makes good spiritual reading to read a paragraph or a section uh, at a time. It would encourage us all to think, too, that the Pope is talking to you and to me. That's the point of the, the universal call to holiness. That, And again, it, we, when we talk about universal, we think of sort of a blanket call, but it really comes in a very personal way uh, to, um, to each of us. But 
because we are all being called, each of us being called, we look around and see others who are attempting to take a step forward in, in holiness, and we can appreciate that in each other and uh, offer each other encouragement. So we know the saints are surrounding us. They now see and experience the fullness of life in the Trinity. Of they, They've received the inheritance that is promised to us through baptism. They want us to, to have it too. So they're on our side. They're pulling for us. They're praying for us. And they offer us great example um, in in their lives and you know in their in their teachings. We um, call upon their help and call upon the the strength and the consolation of the Holy Spirit to help us discern the opportunities that are ours to grow and to have the courage to take those opportunities and to reject the things that would that would hold us back or take us on a, a different path. I should just bring this up as a footnote that just before this was released. The Holy Father declared a new feast day in the life of the church. And it would be to Mary, Mary, the mother of the church, which comes on the Monday following Pentecost. So just as we think back at the of the church beginning at, at Pentecost, Mary was present then, of course, at that event, but also uh, remains very much with us as the church continues our pilgrimage through through history. So a title that Pope Paul VI used for Mary at the time of the end of the Second Vatican Council. But it's a, a concept, a title that was known since the time of the fathers of the church, really. Beautiful way for us to remember that Mary is with us in the church and, and has a special care for the disciples of her son and a care for our flourishing. Thank you so much, Archbishop Lucas. You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas.